Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Wow, an emotional morning for sure. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God is so good. Praise God. He wanted to give me his, uh, my glasses back. The thing is, is that uh, I'm not wearing my contact lenses this morning, so I'm not seeing you <laughs> as clearly, because otherwise I'd be needing my glasses. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. So, but I do see you. I do see you. But uh, <sighs> happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the wonderful mothers that are here. Those that are watching online on Facebook and YouTube, Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to our, to our spiritual moms. You might, not be, you might not have given birth physically, but you know what? You are a spiritual mom. You have sown in tears. You have deposited. You have watered. You have planted. Praise God. We celebrate you today. And uh, the Bible does say in Romans 13 that we are to give honor to whom honor is due. And mothers, you are due the honor. There's no question about that. 365 days a year and one day of honor, which is so awesome. And um, for me, of course, you know, Mother's Day is somewhat bittersweet today having, um, this is the first Mother's Day without my mom. She went home to be with the Lord four months ago. And uh, Dino's mom went home to be with the Lord three months ago. And so we certainly, we feel that loss. We feel it today. But they're with the Lord. And you know what? Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. And I look forward to spending eternity with him and seeing my mom and, and, and so many of us who have had our mothers pass away. Praise God. We look forward to that because we honor our moms. Our moms have left a legacy of greatness. And that's how I feel today regarding my own mother. And um, this morning I'm going to be talking about greatness. Sometimes when we think of moms... And for those of you that are mothers, of course, you know how difficult it is to be a mother. There are things that you do that are visible that everybody sees, and there are things that you do that nobody sees, especially when you have little ones. You might be home, and for those of you that are older moms, you remember this, you're home with the kids, and all day long there's chaos, there's crying, there's whining, the house is in a complete disarray. And um, you don't even have time to cook for your husband. So when he comes home, he says, what did you do today? <laughs> Ever been there? And it's like, what did I do? Yes, mothers have certainly do so much that we don't see. And, and a number of years back, I saw a preacher on TV, and, and he, um, he talked about what mothers do. And I thought, mm, I really like that. I want to get a copy of that. And so I looked it up. I found it. And I do want to share this with you because, of course, we have to give honor to mothers this morning. So this is what mothers are and what they do. A mother is... A baby feeder, diaper changer, bather, rocker, burper, hugger, listener to crying and fussing and thousands of questions, 
picker-upper of food and debris cast on the floor, problem solver, determiner of action, and the one who gives those talks to whoever needs them, phone messenger, reminder of responsibilities, comforter, encourager, counselor, hygienist, linguistic expert for two-year-olds, trainer of babysitters, listener, for the husband as well as the children about their day, their needs, their concerns, their aspirations, teacher of everything from how to chew food to how to drive a car, assist on school projects, collecting bugs, building paper volcanoes, science fair projects, etc. questioner and prober to promote thinking, censorer of TV, music, movies and books, homework helper, reader of hundreds of children's of books over and over and over again, planner and hostess of children's birthday parties, planner and hostess of adult dinner parties for friends, relatives, travelers, and strangers, grocery shopper, cook and washer of dishes, short order cook for those meals after the family dinner that growing children must have, dispatcher to see that the appliance is fixed or the carpet is shampooed, executioner of ants, roaches, wasps, and other pests, master of the household for pets, which includes walking dogs, changing litter for cats, washing cages, She's a resident historian in charge of photo albums, baby books, home videos, and school record books. Resident source of information for all those hard questions that arise. Officer of the day, on call for any emergency at home or away. Defroster of the refrigerator and freezer. Food preservation expert, family secretary confirming dinner reservations, travel accommodations, corresponder to the sick and the celebrating or the generous. She archives everything that must be kept, keeper and locator of birth certificates and other valuable documents, washer and ironer of clothes, keeper and copier of tax forms, calendar keeper for the family's visit to the doctor, the dentist, the orthodontist, the barber and the mechanic, fitness expert, keeper of each family member's daily itinerary, cleaner of the the oven, the drawers, the closets, the garage, the curtains, the bedding, the windows, even the walls, and washer and waxer of cars, refinisher of furniture, emergency medical technician, ambulance driver. Are you tired yet? <laughs> I'm not done. Clip 10 fingernails and 10 toenails for each young child regularly. Get photos printed. Choose gifts, purchase gifts, wrap gifts for birthdays, Christmas, Father's Day, Mother's Day, wedding showers, baby showers, anniversaries, etc. Mail packages. Buy stamps. Drop off the dry cleaning. Pick up the dry cleaning. Have pictures framed. Haul everything that needs repair. Attend recitals and sporting events. Attend every school event imaginable. Chauffeur everybody everywhere. Attend all the kids' sports practices, cover for your sick kid on his 4 a.m. paper route, comb little boy's hair and little girl's hairdos, replace every battery and everything that ticks, whirls, or beeps, help in the classroom, become a mandatory volunteer for every fundraising drive, participate in most school committees and boards, attend PTA meetings and conferences, act as a classroom mother, making things and organizing parties, chaperone field trips and special events, coordinate carpools, serve as a Sunday school teacher and volunteer for other ministries, purchase most everything for everything in the family and, and the home, keep relationships healthy with friends and every member on both sides of the family, deliver forgotten lunches, forget, for, forgotten homework, forgotten athletic gear, attend church, Bible studies, committee meetings, showers, weddings, choir practices, board meetings, pot blessings, and neighborhood gatherings, just to say that you're, stay, you're active and informed and return everything that everyone buys, save lives, sometimes figuratively, sometimes literally.
Do we give honor to whom honor is due? And you know what? I don't know about you, so now you know, of course. <laughs> Never ask a mother, what did you do all day? Never ask that question. It's not a good question. But think about it. And then, of course, there's working mothers and everything that they have to do. And, of course, we can't forget, of course, that mothers cater to their husbands. They cater to their parents, their friends and family. And, of course, there's adult children. Oh, we won't even go there. <laughs> the things that we do for adult children. And so we see that a mother's responsibility is great. And we see that mothers are great. And sometimes she gets that appreciation. Sometimes she doesn't. But we see that mothers' hearts are hearts that are there to serve. And they work around the clock. And, and, and this morning, I'm going to talk about greatness. My title of my message is, So You Want to Be Great. You want to be great. And in today's world, we talk a lot about greatness. It's, it's something that we debate. We sit around. We talk about who's the greatest, what's the greatest. We talk about what's the greatest baseball team. Who is the greatest baseball team? Who's the greatest hockey team? Well, it's not the Leafs, as we know. Not at this point. Maybe next year. It's been 56 years, but that's okay. We just wait. But we do have the greatest fans. Toronto has the greatest fans. They're very loyal. But, but we look and we talk about who's the greatest. We talk about who's the greatest player. You know, a couple of years ago, I, I heard someone say, and this is something I never heard, oh, that guy's a goat. And I'm like, goat? How derogatory can you get? Calling somebody a goat. All I knew about goats were sheep and goats. You want to be a sheep? You don't want to be a GOAT. But GOAT was an acronym for greatest of all time. And I didn't realize that. So when people were called GOATs, I thought, what is going on? But people talk about greatness. Parents look for the greatest schools that they can put their kids in. We talk about what was the greatest movie we've ever seen, and, and we all aspire somehow to be great. We really do, without realizing it. We look for greatness in our jobs. We look for greatness if we go to school and we want those accolades, we want those trophies, we want to be noticed. We want to be great. We have to be so careful with that. As we examine performance, our media too, it constantly bombards us with greatness. Products are geared specifically for, oh, you want to have great hair? Use this shampoo. Oh, you want to have a great body? Well, we have a diet for you. You can lose 40 pounds in seven days. And, and people buy into that. Or, oh, you know, we, can, we have some surgical procedures to have a great body. It's amazing how the world focuses on these things. We see that, of course, with greatness, too, and, and motivational principles. Constantly, we see that we're being drilled, that the success is in you. It's in you. You can do it. You can do it. You can be great. You can be great. That's the message we get at all times. You sometimes go on Instagram accounts, and you see, oh, this person lives a great life. Oh, look at all the food that they're posting. Oh, they go out to eat everywhere. Oh, they travel all over the world. They have a great life. 
and we look to these things, we have to be so careful. Everybody's looking to be somebody in this world, somebody that is noticed. Even with our movie industry, even with kids, kids always look to a superhero, somebody that's going to save the world, to be somebody. What is greatness, brothers and sisters? What is greatness? This morning, I'm going to talk about a woman in the Bible. We are going to turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, her name is Salome. And who is Salome? We're going to start at verse 20. Who is Salome? Salome is the mother of James and John, the, son, the sons of thunder. They were apostles. And we will see a very interesting story about her. We will start with verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other one on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called himself, uh, called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Praise God. Praise God. When you look at this, when you look at this portion of scripture, you think, so you want to be great? Jesus is addressing this. And you know, you might be thinking, this is a very interesting mother to speak about in the Bible, because it's, wow, you know, why don't you speak on somebody that's a little bit more classic, like Hannah, like Sarah, like Naomi. And this is very strange, because she had an, a very interesting request. You know, Salome did not get things all right, but does it, it doesn't mean that she wasn't a great mother. Even though she asked one question, there are a lot of positive things that we can glean from this portion of scripture. Now, you hear me saying Salome. It's like, hmm, I didn't see Salome in that text. But Salome is indeed her name. And sometimes you have to go to other scriptures to see. It's always about cross-referencing. She was a woman of God. And we see that because she was there at the cross when Jesus died. And she was also there on the day of resurrection when she came to the tomb with spices. And so look at Matthew 27. 
verses 54 to 56. Matthew 27, 54 to 56. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly. Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking on from afar. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And so we know James and John were Zebedee's sons. And so here we see she was there right at Right at the cross, the, the Bible speaks of three particular women that were there, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now, when you look at a different rendition, because it's always sometimes looking at the uh, synoptic gospels and how it's written from another perspective in Mark chapter 15, verse 40. Same scripture, but just written a little differently. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less and Joses, and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now notice... She wasn't, she wasn't just there at the cross, but she was also following him throughout Galilee. Sometimes we just get the picture, oh, you know, Jesus was just with his disciples, and the crowd was there. They'd come out to hear Jesus, but there were always a group of women following. She was part of this group. And then, of course, Mark 16, 1, the very next chapter, first verse. Now, when the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come to him. And so here we see again, it was Salome. Salome was the mother of James and John. And so we're going to start looking into this story, and that's why I'm calling her Salome. We're going to start looking from verse 20, verse by verse. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something of him. So we will stop right there. She came kneeling down. She came to Jesus with John and James. She was kneeling down. Now we know when you kneel down, you are paying homage. You are giving reverence. She recognized who he was. She recognized that, she was, that he was Jesus, the Messiah. She recognized that there was a kingdom to come. And we certainly know that she had a relationship with Jesus. How? Just from the scripture verses I just read. She was there at the cross. She was following him around throughout the Galilee. She was there at the tomb. And so she wasn't a casual follower. She was a devout follower. Now, you know, before I listed all these things that, that went through that very exhausted list of, of what can be a great mother. And yes, you know, in earthly terms, if you do all these things as a mother, you're a great mother. But this morning, we're going to examine how you are a great mother or a great follower of God by Jesus' perspective. What makes a great mother? So verse 21, 
We're just going to look at, and of course, back to Matthew 20. And he said to her, what do you wish? We're just going to look at that first part. What do you wish? Oh, my goodness. What do you wish? Jesus is asking, what do you wish? Imagine, you know, Jesus only says this twice in the New Testament where he's asking somebody, what do you want? What do you want? And actually, we see this just a later, later on in the same chapter, in Matthew chapter 20, right at verse 29. We see he asks that. He asks somebody, what do you want? Verse 29, now as they went out of Jericho, the great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? Wow. What do you want me to do for you? What a question. We see that in the Old Testament also. Solomon, King Solomon, the Lord revealed himself. He, he, He came to Solomon in a dream and he says, what do you want? And we know that Solomon chose well. He chose wisdom. And of course, he was the wisest man that ever lived next to Jesus. And when we see, you don't have to turn with me, but I'll just read it. First Kings chapter three, verses 10 to 14. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. And moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you long life. Wow. The Lord blessed him. And so we see God saying, what do you want? Here Jesus was saying to Salome, what do you wish? What do you wish? He's saying that to you this morning. What do you wish? If he came to you and said, what do you want? What would you ask for? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, my husband always says, Our God is not a cosmic bellhop. He's not a Santa Claus. He's not a genie in the bottle that he comes to grant things. But if you had to ask for one thing, what would you ask for? Think about it. Maybe you're going through financial struggles. You can't make ends meet. And and each and every time it's you check your bank account after you pay your bills and it's zero balance. And maybe it's like, Lord, you know, I I need a job. I, I need to sustain myself. Help me financially. Maybe some of you, you've been praying for a spouse. And Lord, I really want that other half to complete me. And you're praying for a spouse or a child. 
or you're praying for, or you ask for world peace, whatever it is. It's amazing the different things. If you ever throw that question out in, in a group discussion, what would you ask for? Some people would say, oh, that the world would have no suffering. That's a huge one. What would you really ask? And Jesus was asking Salome exactly this. What do you wish? Well, the thing is, Jesus is always asking that to us. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. He does this all the time. This is the great God that we serve, that we can come before him right at the throne of grace boldly and we can ask. And that's what she did. She asked boldly. But if you were to give a response to the Lord, if he said, what do you wish, what would you do? Would you ask for something that would glorify yourself, something that you needed, or would you ask for something that would glorify him? And that's why Solomon was elevated, because he didn't ask for anything that was earthly. He asked for something that meant dividends in the kingdom. He asked for wisdom, wisdom. And so we see the second half of verse 21 Jesus had said, what do you wish? And there she was. She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Ooh, so you want to be great. <laughs> Talk about a loaded verse. And sometimes we look at this verse and we almost get angry. We think what nerve of this woman asking something like this. How can she do this? That's very presumptuous to ask that. But you see, her request just reflected on what she believed regarding greatness. I think she probably thought her boys were the greatest boys around, no question about that. To her, greatness meant having power, meant having authority. And after all, you know, John and James were in the inner circle Peter, John, and James, the three of them. Why couldn't she ask something like that? But you know what? Let's look at the context of maybe why she posed this question. And you know, when you look at scripture, it's always about the context. You look and see what was said before and what was after. So you would begin to understand. And at the beginning of chapter 20, we see that Jesus is sharing a parable a parable, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out and he was looking for people to work in his vineyard. And as he was searching this out early in the morning, he comes across some workers and they made a decision that, yes, you know what, for the full day, I will pay you one denarius. Sounds good. And so as time elapsed, there was the third hour, there was the sixth hour, there was the ninth hour, there was the eleventh hour. The landowner went out and he found other workers who were, they weren't workers, but they were just people that were idle. And he thought, well, would you like to work? Yes, yes, yes. They wanted to work. And so he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. And so they went to work. But then at the end of the day, what had happened? The landowner 
paid a denarius, not only to the ones who started early, but one denarius to everyone, even the one that started at the 11th hour. Now, a lot of us would say, wow, that is unfair. But we see in verse 11 of chapter 20, and when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day? But he answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. And of course, later on, we see in verse 16, he says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And so Jesus speaks about this parable right at the beginning. So again, it's all about the context, beginning of that chapter. And then right after that, he, he walks with the disciples. He takes them aside on the road and he explains to them that this is the third time he tells them that he is going to be crucified that he's going to be delivered, that he was going to suffer many things. And so when we understand the context of all of this, we can understand the story that unfolds with Salome. And so Salome, it wouldn't be surprising, of course, because she traveled with Jesus. She was there, and of course, um, in Luke chapter 8, the Bible says that there were many women that supplied his substance. There were many women that supplied finances for Jesus. And so she was there. And maybe, just maybe, as she heard that parable, she probably thought, what? I don't believe in this equality. What? My sons, my sons were chosen first. John and James were the first disciples to be chosen by Jesus. And plus, they're close to Jesus. Like, no, no, no. They, they deserve priority. Now we can kind of see perhaps where she is coming from. She wanted VIP seats next to the throne. She wanted them to be great. And so here is Salome. And we think, hmm, not a very nice request, so it seems. But it was a prayer request. And what she did was she prayed that her sons would be part of the kingdom. That's the important thing to see. We have to look at this on the positive side. You know, honestly, I couldn't think of anything more important than any mother here to actually see that the most important thing here on earth is not whether your, your child is going to get a PhD or whether your child is, is going to live in a fancy house, but the most important thing is, does your child serve the Lord? That's the most important thing. Any mother would be interested in seeing the fact that, that, that she has to be kingdom-focused, uh, focused, because the things of this earth, and of course the things that I listed before, all those things are great that mothers do, but they fade in comparison to eternity, praying for your child, praying with your child, depositing in your sons, your daughters, the things of the Lord, sharing with them, having Bible studies together, setting the example. Because you know what? If we do that as mothers or as parents, as people, as mothers especially, we fulfill our, our role in motherhood. That is our role. You know, my own mother, 
of course, I was brought up in a, in a, I was brought up in a Catholic background, but from the time I was extremely little, and I remember I was about three or four years old, and, and one of my earliest memories of my mom, I, I could just picture her sitting right next to my bed on, on my right-hand side, and she would be praying with me. I remember that. She instilled prayer in my life to the point that I really knew that I knew that I knew that God was real. There were times when, and I remember one time too, I remember exactly how I sat in that closet. I thought, mom and dad can't find me. But then all of a sudden I knew, but God knows I'm here. And I was only four years old. God knows I'm here. I'm hiding. But he knows. He knows God was real to me. She instilled that in me. So much so that even when I went to the Catholic school in kindergarten and first grade, you know, I was one of the only kids that went to church every Sunday. And sometimes, oh, the kids found out. It's like, why do you go to church for? They were part of a Catholic school, but their parents didn't take them to church. But God was so important. She instilled that in me. Why? Because she had a relationship with Christ. It's about relationship. She led by example. Amen. Oh my goodness, the importance of praying that your children would be part of the kingdom. You know, the other night, of course, we, uh, we had our mother and daughter banquet, and that was all wonderful, and uh, we had played a game. And um, in the midst of this game, one of the questions was, what does your mother what would a mother want for Mother's Day? And of course, you know, we're going through different answers. It was like a family feud and, and you know, flipping the answers over. And, you know, some of the things that mothers want for Mother's Day, flowers and chocolate and maybe a dinner out or, you know, spa, whatever, different things. And you know what? That all pales in comparison. If, if you are here today, if you are here today just to honor your mom and you don't maybe necessarily go to church, but you're honoring your mom, you know what a mother's heart really is. You really know what a mother wants, a godly mother wants for Mother's Day. The real thing that a mother wants for Mother's Day, it's found in 3 John chapter 1 verse 4. This is the heart of a mother. And this is what she says. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. There's no greater joy than that. And for some of you, you know, you might be here sitting next to your moms or you might be watching online. And let me tell you something. If you have a godly mother that has been praying for you, year after year. And I know as I speak to different women, some women feel so exasperated. When is my child going to come to the Lord? When is my child going to come to the Lord? But God hears. God sees. He understands. He sees your tears because I have no greater joy. There's no greater joy. You don't need to get your mother a Mother's Day gift. This is your Mother's Day gift. Give your heart to the Lord. It's not only a gift to her, it's a gift to God, and it's a gift to you. <laughs> because you will be not only blessed here on earth, but you will be eternally blessed. My goodness. And so here's Salome in this particular portion of scripture. She didn't ask for anything earthly. The Bible says to set our affections on the things above and not of this earth. She was kingdom 
minded. It was all about the kingdom. She understood that, you know what? Any request here on earth, it's just going to, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter whatever happens here on earth. But her request was about her son's sitting next to Jesus. She thought about the kingdom. She was heavenly minded. This world is temporal. Whatever we experience in this world is temporal. It's going to fade away. What profits a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And she understood that. She was heavenly minded. And you know, a wonderful thing that we see about this mother, it's not only about what she asked for, but it's also about what she didn't ask for. She didn't ask for something for herself. And that's really a selfless mother. When you don't ask for yourself, but you ask for your children. And some people might feel it was contrary uh, to that because they might think it's selfish because sometimes we think, oh my goodness, here's Salome. That was really presumptuous. She is asking for her sons to sit on the left-hand side, to sit on the right-hand side. That's probably overly ambition, but le- ambitious. But let me tell you something. What mother wouldn't want the very best for her children? The very best for her children. Is it Is it a sin to be overly ambitious? Well, it can be, especially for earthly things, but not for spiritual things. She actually needs to be commended because she's a great mom. How many mothers today abandon their children? How many? We see that more and more. I was just watching a video the other day that somebody sent it to me of a mom who just gave birth and was caught on camera. Not that part, but she was by a dumpster and she, she just in a garbage bag just threw her baby right in the dumpster. So heartbreaking. And thank God that right afterwards, maybe a couple of hours later, there was somebody going through the garbage and found that baby. How many mothers abandon their children? How many mothers don't put their children first? But here she was, Salome. She knew that her sons were special, and especially we know, of course, from the Gospel of John. John is described, there were James and John. John described himself, of course, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He always had his head on his bosom. He was very close to him. And so maybe she felt comfortable. You know, she saw the interaction that would take place between Jesus and her sons. And, you know, this was family. I can ask this kind of question. I can ask. And perhaps, you know, when it comes to motive, because we always look at the motive. And so initially when we see this, we think, hmm, did she just want power? Did she just want prestige? Did she just want position for her sons? And if that were the case, of course. Her motive was bad. And of course, you know, in the world, the world thinks like that. The world today and even back then, it's all about power. It's all about prestige. It's all about honor. Even sometimes in the church, We may think that spiritual gifts, we desire spiritual gifts, but sometimes we do things because we want to be elevated. We have to be so careful because 
These things are within the hearts of men. So it's always about the motive. The Lord always checks our motives. So yes, if she wanted prestige and position for John and James, her motive was wrong. But maybe, just maybe, because they were so close to Jesus, maybe she just wanted them to to be close to Jesus. Just the closeness. Wouldn't you want to be close to Jesus? Wouldn't you want to be as close as you can to him? If that was her motive, then we know the motive was correct. And so we see in verse 22, the first half, but Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. And so she asks this question and he says, you don't know what you ask. You know, sometimes we don't know what we are asking God. And we can ask amiss, like it says in James. And here we sometimes figure we can criticize Salome, but you know what? Jesus didn't criticize her. He didn't put her down. He was very patient with her. You know why? Because he understood a mother's heart. That's a mother's heart. Most people would probably think, oh, she was so out of line, but, but he did not say, you know what, woman, I, I have other disciples here that are twice as good as your own boys. He, he didn't say anything like that. He didn't criticize her. He just said, you do not know what you ask. And sometimes moms can make mistakes. We know that. Yes, moms can make mistakes, and she probably made a mistake as this was not the question to ask. But as we realize, when you're a mother... Whether your child is five years old, whether your child is 50 years old, you will always be there to support your child. Amen? No matter what. No matter what they go through. If they need to be rescued, you will be there to rescue them. You will be there to help them. And sometimes we shouldn't be rescuing, as you know. But, but we are there for them. And that's how she was. Think about how her sons must have felt when she asked that question. First of all, did they put her up to it? Did they say, hey, mom, go to Jesus and ask if we can sit on the other side? Maybe, maybe they put her up to it. Maybe they didn't. Maybe she just decided to say, Jesus, you know what? I want my sons to sit on either side of you. And, and can you imagine if they did not know this, the look of embarrassment? Oh, my goodness. These are grown men. And here the mother was coming up to bat <laughs> for them. How many of you have ever embarrassed your kids in that way? You know, something happens and, oh, my goodness. Oh, you're having problems with the boss. Give me his number. I'm going to call him. Yeah, and, and, and you want to just write go in there and it's like mom mom please don't please don't this is really embarrassing it is embarrassing I think we've all been there where we try to to do things to help our children so you could only imagine you can only imagine perhaps if that were the case how John and James felt but what did this show us it shows us that she was a great mom that she loved her boys that she only wanted the very best for her children. So even if it seemed like the oddest question to ask, she loved her boys. 
she was heavenly minded. And what's another amazing quality about this is she had vision, vision. Listen, she didn't ask and say, oh, you know what? I'd like my boys to be the doorkeepers. She wanted them to be seated right next to, right next to Jesus. That is vision. That is boldness. This is what we need. She wasn't afraid. There were other people, of course, standing there. She had boldness. This is how we need to be. Sometimes in our own lives, church, we, we get to be, you know, our, our walk can be so mediocre. And we just settle. We just come to church. We punch our card. We think, oh, this is great. I'm here in church. I did my duty. Go home. Mm, don't ask me to do too, too much more. But I'm in church. I love God. But she had boldness, boldness. And that's how we have to be today. We have to be ambitious for our children. We have to be ambitious to see that they, they are converted. We have to pray for them. We have to be ambitious to try to instill godly principles in their lives. We have to be ambitious to help them and steer them correctly that, that yes, they will choose a good life partner where God will be the center of that home. We have to be ambitious. We have to make sure that we don't let go of that. I admire her for her boldness. It wasn't just good enough for her boys to be saved. She wanted them to receive the blessings of God. And that's how we have to be today, bold. We have to take our position. We have to stand up. We have to be leaders. We have to push a little further. You want to get the blessing, you have to push further so that we take hold of the kingdom. The kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. We cannot be passive. We have to be Diligent, striving for excellence. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. You see, there's a great price that's involved when it comes to greatness. The way up is the way down. We don't ascend to greatness. We descend to greatness. It's not about being exalted and saying, hey, everybody, look how great I am. Look at all my accolades. It's about humility. Amen. Humility. The, John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. That's what greatness is about. And Salome as she posed this question to Jesus, do we see that this her. Do we see that the answer was materialized? We're going to look at that in a moment. But all of a sudden, Jesus began to give a lesson on what greatness really meant. Verse 22 to 23. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. Very interesting. Jesus does not really answer that request, but instead he poses a question back. 
He says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? You see, they didn't understand the implications of really what he was saying. What cup? He speaks of a cup. What cup is this? We all know in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had asked the Lord, if possible, remove this cup. What is that cup? It's a cup of grief. It's a cup of anguish. It's a cup of the torture and punishment that was going to be put upon him. And here he says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they said, we can't. Now, did they really understand what that cup meant? I don't think so. They didn't understand the weight of what Jesus was saying. And yet they said, we are able. It's very interesting. You know, Jesus is very patient. He doesn't correct them. He just, he just says in verse 23, he says, you will indeed drink my cup. He knew. He knew the future. You're going to drink my cup. You will suffer. You are going to go through it and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Now, notice they said, we are able. Who's we? We see, of course, John and James. That would include them. And, of course, Salome. We are able. We're able. They're ready to, to lay down their lives. And Salome was part of this. She led as a mother, she led her sons by example. And she led by example. We see that she was at the cross when everybody else deserted. She was there at the cross. She was there at the tomb. She led by example. A mother leads by example. She didn't just give a little frivolous, oh yeah, we can. You know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. How many times do we say, yeah, okay, and we don't follow through. She followed through. She followed through all the way. And Jesus points out that, yes, they will drink from this cup. They will suffer. And what's interesting to see is that Jesus plainly says that it's not up to him to determine that role of who's going to be placed on either side. He says, it's up to my father. Just like that parable of the workers in the vineyard, it was up to the landowner to decide who he was going to pour out grace on, who he was going to reward. You see how all of that just ties in together. And then, of course, now here it comes, verse 24. Verse 24, after this entire conversation, and when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Oh, my goodness, you can only imagine what... John and James sitting next to Jesus as he's on his throne. How dare them ask such a question? How dare this mom ask this? They were so angry and Jesus kind of understood and he was, he was understanding a little bit about how he was feeling, but he was very, they were feeling, but he was patiently and calmly taught them a lesson. He didn't say, hey, what's the matter with you all? You see, right before, right before this particular portion of scripture, he predicts his death. And in verse 17, right before, now Jesus going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem 
and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And on the third day, he will rise again. And so Jesus just had this conversation. This is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to suffer. And right now, there's this big dispute about who's going to sit next to me on the throne. Guys, what's the matter with you? But he didn't say that. Instead, he taught them a lesson. And he tried to show them how the world sees greatness and how we ought to see greatness. Verse 25 and 26. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. And that's the thing. He was speaking about how leaders back then, they were tyrants, they would exercise authority, and it was all about the power, it was all about the pomp, it was all about the prestige, and it's really no different than today. Today there are people out there that all they care about is climbing up that social ladder and, oh gee, if I can have an office with a beautiful view high, 20, 20 stories high, and just have an ocean view or a panoramic view of the city and I have dozens of employees, maybe hundreds of employees behind, uh, under me, and I just do what I want whenever I want. I can push anybody around. And then meanwhile, the employees, oh, I wish I could be like him. Wow, he has a beautiful house and beautiful car, and, and people desire that. We see this today. People sometimes look at those people in Hollywood. Oh, I wish I looked like this person. Oh, I wish I had what they have. And they're not happy. They are not happy. This is not where it is at. They are the most miserable people in the world. <laughs> there is no question. And why do we aspire to that kind of worldly greatness? Are you kidding me? That can't bring them joy. Some people, you know, they'll say, I just want to be happy. You know, I'm going to do whatever. I hate that comment when people say, I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy. Whatever makes you happy? That's a recipe for disaster. It should be joy. The things that bring us joy. There's going to be suffering, but there's joy. Joy is different than happiness. And what did Jesus say as he described the way back then, the way it worked with power, the way it worked with prestige? What did Jesus say? It should not be so among you. You shouldn't be looking for power. You shouldn't be looking for prestige. You shouldn't be looking for prominence. That's the way the world does it. And he gives an astonishing, he, he surprises them. It isn't about where you are seated. It's not about having those high places. He's trying to show them it's not about that. This kingdom is not about these things. We should not be looking to that. And so this is a message also for the church. We should not be looking to these things to be great to be up there. But what did Jesus say? Verse 26 to 28, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Hallelujah. And whoever desires to be first among you, 
Let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So you want to be great? Jesus said, be a servant. A servant. It's about humility. It's about service. It's about being like Jesus. This is what Jesus was trying to say. Can you imagine if he didn't come as a servant and came as that military king that Israel was waiting for and said, yeah, you know, you have to be servants. Not the greatest example. He showed us how to serve. In fact, that's why he said to Salome, what do you wish? How can I help you? What do you wish? This is his desire to bless, to serve, to serve. That was his chief purpose. And he explained it, of course, through his suffering. And, and verse 28, just as the son of man did not come to be served, uh, come to serve or be served, but he came to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, yes, he was going to suffer. He was going to suffer. Jesus, you know, it could have been something so different to deal with all the bad guys in the world, the Roman government, the Pharisees, those who thought they were religious. He could have just, from the breath of his nostrils, just said, be gone. But he didn't do that. He came to die for you, for me, for all those that needed salvation. He came to serve. He showed us through an act of humility, of laying his life down. Oh, what a sacrifice, brothers and sisters. And that's how we are great. When we lay our lives down, mothers lay their lives down for their children. But serving, it's always about how we deposit into the kingdom. You know, mothers, um, here was Salome. She was already a great servant. She followed Jesus around, but, but Jesus gave her a lesson on how to serve. She was always, already a great mom. You can tell by just how she loved her children, the relationship that she had and what she tried to instill in them. But Jesus was giving a lesson on greatness. Greatness. You want to be great in your life? Serve. Serve. You know, I was so blessed the other night when we had our mother and daughter banquet. We had some of the men who were there serving. We had people in the kitchen. Oh, my goodness, Pastor Josh. I, I know he hates this kind of thing, but let me tell you something. He has a servant's heart. He is there. He is here constantly serving. Helen constantly serving. Our men serving us. And, you know, it's not to receive. It's never to receive the hand claps. It's never to receive the accolades of men. We serve to the audience of one. That's all that matters is how we serve him. Truly, our greatest ambition should be to minister to people, not to be admired by them, not for people to say, oh, you know, look how great he is. This, we shouldn't be looking 
to be admired. We should be looking to minister to people. Some of our lives, sometimes we're so busy doing things. Let me tell you something. If you can remember three things, and sometimes I tell this to the ladies in, in my Tuesday morning devotionals, but, but people before things. Invest in people before things. The things are going to pass away, but people you are investing in the kingdom when you serve them, when you love them, when you look after them. People before things. You want to be great. That's how you serve. And so when we see Salome, was she a great mother? Can we relate to her? Yes. She had a relationship with Jesus. She desired the kingdom for her children. She was a heavenly-minded mother. She, her request, of course, was to put herself last and her children first, demonstrating selfishness. She had vision. She had spiritual ambition. She led by example. She was a true servant of God. Incredible woman of God. And then now, to close, when you think about it, was Salome, did Salome really, I mean, she asked for greatness for her sons. And Jesus said, you don't know what you ask. Do you know how many times when we pray, we don't know what we ask? We really don't. But God always has a better plan. He answered, in a different way. James was the first apostle to be killed. Acts chapter 12 verse 2 says that Herod killed him by the sword. He was beheaded. And you're saying, what? That's not greatness. Oh, yes. He followed the Lord till the end unto death. Greatness. <laughs> and John was the last apostle to die. Jesus, of course, gave him that great revelation. He was banished on the Isle of Patmos. All the other apostles, they died. But John was on the island of Patmos, and we have our book of Revelation. So here we see, again, the first and the last, all tying into that chapter. The first apostle to die and the last apostle to die. Oh, yes. There was greatness. And again, some of us might say, greatness, but suffering, taking part of that cup, being a servant. She didn't know what she was asking for. But God answered, God always has a better plan. And as I close, I'm just going to give, just with my own mom, my precious mom, My mom, as I said, all my life she, she prayed from when I was young. And um, of course, I went to the Catholic Church. I'm not going to give my entire testimony. There's a lot of different things in it, but I'm just going to keep this extremely brief. But, but by the age of 18, you know, I didn't understand what it meant to be saved. I went to a church that showed a movie about the end times, about Revelation, and that's when I gave my heart over to the Lord. And um, it wasn't easy because, of course, my parents being Catholic, they still wanted me to be in the Catholic Church. And so I started going to a Pentecostal church with my sister. And um, 
during that time, you know, you know how Satan is. He knows the things that we want. And, and in my life, I wanted to find somebody that loved God. And so I met somebody. He didn't love God, but he was a nice guy. And so I gave myself a couple of months to go out with him. And I remember my sister would say, you know, you know what the Bible says about being unequally yoked? You shouldn't be doing this. You're going to get into trouble. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be fine. Oh my goodness. How many women have fallen into that trap? How many women? And so we started going out and I gave him six months and six months was extended to a year. And then one year was extended to two years. And then two years was extended to three years. I went out with him for three years. And it was difficult because I felt so miserable inside. You know, when you tasted the goodness of God and you turn your back because, you know, I started to go to clubs sometimes with him. Not that I even wanted to be there, but that's how it was. Sin crept in. And there was my mom many times. I'd come home 12, 1 in the morning, and she would scare me half to death because I'd open the door and i see the shadow in the living room in the dark. And what was she doing? She was praying for me. She was praying. She never said anything. She never scolded me. You know, back then, we didn't have, we didn't have cell phones. And sometimes I would call her and say, Mom, don't worry, I'm going to be home soon. But, but she would pray. And she would pray and she would pray because she knew that this fellow, you know what? He didn't want God. He was a good person, but he didn't want God. And that's what I wanted. I wanted somebody who loved the Lord. God is so good. And just how this ended up turning, because just as I was at the end of my rope and thought, no, I needed somebody who really loves Jesus. My mother, who would constantly pray, she prayed something that's called a novena in the Catholic faith. And this novena, she prayed specifically that I would leave. Now this, again, this was about a week or two before my whole life changed. And I met this wonderful man right here. She prayed that I would leave the fellow I was going out with immediately and become a servant of God. That was her prayer. My mother did not know what she was praying. <laughs> she did not know. She, of course, wanted me to be part of the Catholic Church, and that was how she thought I would serve. But you see, God's ways are not our ways. And sometimes when we pray, God has a greater plan. Not sometimes, all the time, he has a greater plan. She didn't realize that I would be serving in this capacity because of a mother's prayer that I would be a servant of God. God's ways are not our ways, brothers and sisters. And this is what he is calling us to do. He is calling us to serve. He's calling us 
into greatness. He's calling us to humble ourselves. He's calling us to leave behind all the things that we somehow aspire for this world and, 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 and for greatness. He wants us to serve him wholeheartedly. Amen. Praise God. Can we all stand? Praise God. Praise God. The Lord is so good. We talked about greatness, of course, this morning. And uh, there's only one who is great. He is great. We're going to be singing how great is our God. We are nothing without him. It is all about his spirit flowing through us and us submitting to him, us humbling ourselves before the Lord. I'm going to call up the mothers to come forward in a moment or two, but you know what? This morning, we need to ascribe to the Lord and just say, Lord, you are great. You are so good. We need to reflect upon what he has done in our lives, how you are here today. You are here today because of someone's prayers, probably your mother's prayers. We give God the praise. We give God the glory. Can we sing together? How great is our God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus.